You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Morning, how we doing? Hey, it's good to see you. Hey, we've been in a series this month called Focus. It's kind of our beginning of the year, kind of getting focused on vision, and it kind of re- there's a lot of reset that happens in January, and so uh, we've been teaching through this uh, vision series on focus and how to, how to kind of look at components of vision, and, and this has been a real fun series for me personally because it's, it's been a trip down memory lane because... Ten years ago right now, Heather and I were in the process of planting a church and not knowing what was going to go on and what was going to happen, how this was going to work, and, and we were just you know, relying on God to give us everything we needed and to show us, to tell us, and, and, and just take us through every step of the process. So it's been really fun for me kind of just revisiting that, the faithfulness of God, and, and really just seeing how He works His process, how He gives a vision, and, and through the years, we've refined vocabulary for that vision. Vision, but the visions remained, and the vision was given, and that was really to see this, to see people set in a relationship. You know, we want to see people saved. We want to see people connected with Jesus, because if, if we're not doing that, then we're just wasting our time here, that it all has to be focused and centered on Jesus, and he is the reason we gather. And so we want to see people set in that relationship with Christ. We want to see people connected in a family, because we are the most connected people that have walked this planet digitally, but we're the most disconnected people uh, relationally. We're, we've got everything at the touch of a button and on our flat screens and touch screens, but we're lacking and we're starving for relationship. And the church is, is described in Scripture as a family, and we want that family connection. We want to see people free, set free, and because we know this, that we can have a relationship with Jesus and still struggle and wrestle with these things in our life and continue to go back to to, to scars or wounds of our past, and we want to walk in freedom from that, and then ultimately, we want to be set in motion. That's working in the ministry. That's doing what God's called us to do, and God gave us a vision to see that happen in, in our area, and, and it's been amazing to see his faithfulness through this decade of, of how he is constantly providing for this vision that he gave us, and, and, the, and vision is interesting. You know, we've worked through the components that there's a purpose to the vision, and our purpose is simply this, it's to make disciples, that everywhere we go, in a context of doing life, it's raising up disciples. So parents, it's, it's raising up your children so that they have a relationship, a connection, and know that Jesus loves them and, and walks out on their faith, not yours. You know, and so all context of life, it's making disciples. And the passion that comes from that is not just to make disciples, it, it's to know Christ and to know the power of his resurrection. And the power of his resurrection is the power that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and then this fourth one, and I intentionally put this last because we tend to let it get first and it should remain last, is the provision for God's vision. So we can get, we can get so caught up and man, I feel like this is what God's called me to do, but we, we, we go to the elementary thing. Let's get nuts and bolts here for a minute. We go, how are we gonna pay for this? I mean, when Heather and I were planting the church, how are we gonna pay for this? When God gives a calling on your life, and a lot of times you know, we're, we get excited about what God may be calling us to do. And I know a lot of you are in some big, prayers and big transitions this year. 
I mean, praying about changing jobs and careers and, and school and, and, and just so many things. And we've got several people in our Creek community that are transitioning uh, to a process of going into ministry where God's called them to go to, to school and, and gain that, the biblical education and then step into ministry. And, and, and I love living that again through them because in 2002, God put a call on our life uh, to, to leave corporate America, to resign from my job and go back to, to get a Bible education and then enter full-time student ministry. And immediately when that call was confirmed, we, we got worried about the provision. Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to pay for this? I mean, God, uh, that's a great idea that you've laid out there. I'm, I'm on board with that, but I don't know how we're going to get it done. I mean, to be able to walk away from an income and because, I mean, we're just like everybody in America, I mean, losing that income is a major issue for, for so many American families and calling me to go to school. And when I looked at how much a student pastor made, I was like, I don't know that I heard you right, God. And so, uh, God, how are we going to do this? But God has provided a way to do that. Then 10 years ago, when God called us to plant a church, it was that similar thing. And when we planted the church... You know, we planted with, with $40,000, and we had a commitment uh, of a year through the first year of the church of so many dollars. And so that, that kind of helped. We we're like, okay, that's, that's, you know, that's nothing what all the experts say, the experts say, um, but we knew God had called us to do this. And so we gathered, Heather and I, with 25 other people, and we, we started meeting, and, and there was a gift given for, for, for the launch of the church, and there was a commitment through year one of more financial support. And three months after we planted the church, that, that commitment dried up. They, they said, look, we, we, can't, we can't do that. And I, I'll never forget that moment because... I, I would go and I would walk at, at a state park and, and I would just get in some intense prayer times. And I remember walking down the trail and, and it might as well have been God audibly speaking to me through the heavens. It was so clear in my soul. And, and this was the conviction that God placed on me. He says, why are you looking to someone other than me to fund what I've asked you to do? And I got to tell you, the weight of that conviction in the middle of that trail, I'm on my knees in confession and repentance. And that declaration that day was important for me personally. It was important for my family. And it was important for you as a church because it changed everything about how I view church. That's why we put the giving stations on the back. That's a reminder of my declaration that, God, I trust you. I don't have to put a plate in it. I don't have to do the... If you grew up in church, you remember that you got baggage from this, the pre-offertory push, you know? I mean, you know, you know, you know somebody comes out and they're going to give like a little sermon before they take up the offering, you know, and you, you know, you're like, oh man, here we go. And you know, if it got really good when they like showed pictures of kids and, and they were crying and they played music like, thank you for giving to the Lord. You know, and I'm just like, y'all know, y'all, you know, I got some church baggage, you know, it's there. I, I've been freed from it so I can make fun of myself with it. And I, you know, but, but I, that, that declaration that I made was, God, I trust you. I don't have to do it. And I'm not knocking any church that does that. I'm just saying the way God called us to do it is this way. Because I believe this, our giving needs to be done two ways, in secret and as an act of worship. We've done the giving stations. And that's a reminder to me that, that nobody has to get on this platform and make this plea. 
because we trust God. For 10 years, God has funded his vision. He did it, he'll do it. He's continued to do that. Man, when we were in worship, I, was, I just got in this mindset of moving the mountains. And 10 years ago, there was this mountain in front of us and it was the ministry that God was calling us to do. And do you know how God moved that mountain? He handed Heather and I a shovel. He handed 25 other people a shovel. He's handed over 1,000 people a week a shovel to move that mountain. And that's the way God continues to provide for his vision. I look to him and him alone to fund what he's called us to do. And he is more creative than I am. He's way smarter than I am on how it happens. I mean, I could not, I could blow you away by the stories of God's faithfulness and how just crazy things, miracles happened along the way. And, and we just get so worried about that provision. And, and this, is, this is the way the vision happens at the creek. If you're wondering, if you're not, if you're like, okay, just how, how do we do this at the creek? If you're new, it's this. God funds the vision at the creek. It's funded by God through the faithfulness of people who come to the creek. We don't receive any outside support. Solely supported by the people God has called to be a part of this family. That's the way God has done it through the creek. And we get, it's so easy to worry about things, right? I mean, look, look at Matthew chapter six. And in Matthew six, Jesus teaches us about, about this concept of worry and funding and provision. In verse 19, he says, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. See, it, there's an amazing thing that, that this, the, he says treasure and heart are tied together. It's, it's what we put as the source of our provision. He goes on into verse 24 where he says, you know, you can't serve two masters. You're gonna hate one and love the other. So he's, he's ultimately saying you can't serve God and money because Jesus knows that our hearts are tied very closely to money. We need it for food, we, we need it for clothing, we need it for housing. It, just life takes money. You know, and if you have kids, it takes more money. And, as, and you think as they get older, it costs less. No, 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 no. You go through these cycles, you know, but, but, but ultimately they, they, they leave the house and you get a pay raise. <laughs> but what Jesus is trying to teach us is that that. When we, we look for provision, we look for the source. If we look in anything other than God, it's not going to have the ability to sustain fulfillment in our life. So if you're going to put all your hope in money, see, if, you're, if money is your thing, then that's where your heart is. You treasure it, and what we treasure, we want to hoard. We, wanna, it, we, we lock it off. and like, no, this is mine, and we, we have to spend our lives protecting it. If you do that with our kids, anything other than, than Jesus Christ is going to leave us unfulfilled because we've, we've set our heart that this is what's going to fulfill us. And Jesus says, that's just not going to happen. Nothing on this earth has the ability to, stay, to sustain that fulfillment outside of Christ. And he said, I'm the one. He goes on in this passage uh, through this idea about worry. He says, why, why do you get anxious about this stuff? Why do you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear? Why do you worry about this so much? We spend so much time worrying about the provision piece. Well, and God says, if I've called you to it, I'm going to provide for it. I'm going to take care of that. Where Jesus ends up in this, he says, look, 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 at the, look at the flowers. They don't worry about what they wear. Look at the birds. They don't sit around, where are we gonna get food? God provides that. God, we've gotta understand that God is always for his vision. 
He's provision. He's, he's for his, not yours. He's not going to fund your lifestyle. He's going to provide provision for the mission, the vision, the purpose that he has for you. And the beautiful thing is every one of us in this room and every one of you watching online has a purpose for your life. Individually, and then we as a church have a vision collectively and a purpose collectively. And God says, that's what I'm for. That's what I fund. And the way, the way he begins to work this is so beautiful. When Jesus ends that passage in, in verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, all the stuff you spend your time worrying about, I'll tell you what, if you'll let those become dull and dim in the background and place your focus on me, let me become more clear in your life. Let me show you how to step into this purpose that I've called you. Let me guide that path. Let my creativity override yours. Let my thoughts override yours. Trust me over your own abilities, what happens is you seek me first, all that other stuff comes together. Because as we pursue Christ, we begin to work. Remember, it's active, this waiting on God, this following Jesus is active. As we become active in his purpose, all, he, he pulls things. I mean, have you looked over the last year? We spent a lot of time thinking about what we want 2020 to be. Have you reflected on the faithfulness of God through what he did for you last year? It becomes mind-blowing. It becomes humbling to see how much he has done for us. And we reset our focus on him. And God's gonna fund his vision. And the way he does it is a beautiful thing. Look, look it over to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. The way God does it is, is through his church, through, through us, you and I, those who call Christ Lord and Savior, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how you participate in this provision. This guy who wrote this, his name is Paul. Paul is a guy that got radically transformed by Jesus. He was set in a relationship with Jesus. He got set free from a lot of religiosity, and he spent his life preaching, speaking, proclaiming this message of Jesus. And he would write to churches that he would help found. He would raise up people. They would go found these churches. Disciples were planting churches. And he was writing encouragement under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit back to these churches. And in this one, he's writing to a church in Corinth. And he begins this by saying, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me fill you in on what's going on. So the, this, this church in Corinth has said, hey, we've heard of the suffering of other churches and there's people that are going through famine and, and there's a lot of devastation going on. So I'll tell you what, we're gonna, we as a church, we're gonna collectively give to the needs of other people. And so Paul hears this and he's like, praise God. That's how God's funding the vision through the church. And, and so, so then this church in Macedonia, Paul says, hey, the church in Corinth, the church in Achaia, that they're taking up a collection and they're gonna, they're gonna help support these churches that the people have been devastated by famine and, and they're just in desperate situations. And Macedonia's like, well, if they're on board, we're on board. It becomes a family thing, right? Not just in the church, the church. It's a family thing. And so like, well, we're gonna get on board with this. And so Paul's writing back to them and saying, hey, hey, I've been talking about you guys. I've been talking you up. I've been boasting about you to, to the other churches. And, and in Macedonia, they're stirred up. And so, so when, I, when I come, I, I don't want my boasting to prove empty in this matter. 
Because he says, and your zeal has stirred most of, up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that your boasting about, uh, that our boasting about you may not be proven empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. So what he's saying is like, man, I, I told them you guys were excited about this. And so I hope, I hope you are. Because if you're not, we're all gonna look bad. And he said, as a matter of fact, he says, otherwise, if the Macedonians come with me and find out that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead of you, ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. There's no pre, pre-offertory sermon here that Paul's given. He's like, look, th- this is a willing thing. It's not, I'm not coming to collect a bill. It's not like God shows up. He's like, I'm here to collect. He's like, this, this is a willing thing. This, this is the heart of God. This is how the heart of God is perpetuated in the church. This is how we participate in this beautiful thing of the funding of God for his vision. And there's a heart. He says it's a willing thing. It's not an exacting thing. And there's a heart behind that because you and I are called to reflect the heart of God. That you and I, when we, when we place our life, our faith, our trust, our hope, our past, our present, our eternity, everything in the hands of Jesus who holds that redemption in his hands. When we place our life in his hands, then he begins to shape us and mold us in his image. And our heart begins to look more like him. We begin to respond to others more like he would respond. And so people wanna see that heart. The world needs to see that heart. We need to live with that heart. And Paul goes on to show us what that heart kind of is and and the outflow of that kind of heart. When in verse six, he says, the point is this. The point is not the gift. The point is not the offering. The The point is not all of this. The point is this. It's a heart issue, right? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. In Greek, that means whoever sows with blessing will receive with blessing. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this this brings into question, I I get this question often about Old Testament and New Testament. Well, in the Old Testament, it says that we're to do a tithe. The tithe means 10%. So am I supposed to do a 10% now that Jesus has been resurrected and we live in the New Testament? And, and the, 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 the thought is, Jesus has fulfilled the law, so do I have to do that? Now, let me ask you this. Where's your heart in it? Because with grace, it's not about the law. It's about the heart. Where's the heart? Are we asking that question to get out of something? Or are we asking that question to say, God, what do you want me to do? Because it says that each one should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. So it's God, what do you want? And here's, here's just what I've seen in my life, and this is kind of how Jesus approaches it. When Jesus was teaching, he would say, you've heard it said, so we'd say the law, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And he would, he would approach this, okay, so he would say it like this. You've heard it said, the law says, do not murder. Boom, there's a bar set, right? Don't murder. But Jesus says, but I tell you, if you harbor hatred for your brother, you've committed murder. What has he done? He didn't lower the bar. He said, he's raised it. So grace gets us over the bar of the legal side, but grace also motivates us to do more. And I'm not, this isn't a thing, well, you should do 12 or 50. It's, it's what is God calling you to give? It's what is God calling you to do? It's not the dollar. 
It's the heart. Look, and it's not just dollars. It's our, it's our resources. It's our abilities. It's our time. Because God puts it all in our hands to do something with it. And he wants us to do something with it. And when he, when he says, when you do this, when God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's a lot of alls. That's only God being able to resource that. Anything short of that is going to leave us unfulfilled. It's only, the, uh, only God who is the source can give us all sufficiency in all things at all times. Goes on to say, he's distributed freely and he's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So, so what he's doing is he's starting to explain this heart. So he provides, God provides to you for you to be a provider. And what he's doing is, is he's growing you in righteousness. What does that mean? He's making us look more like him because God is a, a giving God. And giving isn't something we do, it's something we are. Because this is the character, this is the heart of God. And he says, this is growing us in our righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way and be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So, so when, we're, when we're a pass-through, we're producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Our lives are ultimately about the glory of God. I mean, we, we read in Scripture, whatever you do, what are you, wherever, wherever you work, however you work, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it for the glory of God. Let me sum it up for you. Everything, whatever you do, is for the glory of God. This is producing God's glory through our life. This glory of God, because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others, while they long for you and pray for you, because of the suppressing grace of God upon you. Let me tell you something. This praying for you, the people who are receiving the benefit of this blessing are praying for them. You know how I know that? Go vi- if you sponsor a child in Africa through us, go visit that child. You, you, don't, you, you don't know being prayed for like that child is praying for you. Because they're in a desperate situation and we think, well, 39 bucks a month, does that make a big difference? Oh, it changes the trajectory of a family and generations. And they pray for you. Because what's happening is, is you are providing God's vision for their life. That they're getting an education, they're getting clothing, they're getting medicine, they're getting hope. And so they're praying, God, I want... We, your purpose for my life. One of the kids we're talking to, his, his vision for his life that God gave him is to be an eye doctor. And you know what? His sponsored families, they're funding that vision. It's not the family. It's God giving to the family to give through this process. It's a pass-through, this thanksgiving to God. And then I love how it ends. Thanks be to God for whose? His inexpressible gift. It's not our gift. It's his gift. Why? Because it's the pass-through. We get to participate. God puts it in our hands to give it. The, the best illustration, I learned this as a young child, 
I grew up on a farm, as many of you know, and if you don't know, I grew up on a farm on top of a mountain, so we couldn't ride bicycles. There was nowhere to ride them. But at four years old, I started riding a motorcycle. And, and I got this little motorcycle. It's about this tall. I still have it. And the first time I rode it, I drug my mother around the yard. So she, she's not as fond of it as I am. But I, so I was rode this thing all over the place. But as I grew, I was outgrowing this little motorcycle. And I began to put the pressure on mom and dad. Mom, dad, I need a bigger motorcycle. I mean, I just need a dirt bike. I need, you know, and I mean, I would find every selling point I could. I mean, I'm just, I'm wearing them out. And there was a family in the church that we went to and uh, the family had three sons and they all rode dirt bikes. And, and I used to love going over to their house and their youngest son was a little bit older than I was. And I loved his motorcycle. And I wanted to go over there all the time. Like, can we go to your house and ride your motorcycle? And I mean, I just loved it. And one evening, the dog goes crazy, and that means somebody's coming up the driveway. And this family shows up with this motorcycle in the back of their truck, and they come over for dinner, and they were hanging out. And he said, well, we were coming over, so we thought we'd bring the motorcycle, because we know you like riding it, and you got a lot more space to ride it, so we brought it over for y'all to have fun. So, so we ride this motorcycle all evening. And we come in, and we have dinner, and after dinner, we're sitting on the back deck. My father calls me over and says, come here, son. And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a wad of cash. I'd never seen that much cash in my life. And he puts it in my hand. And he says, why don't you walk over there to Mr. Snyder and tell him you'd like to buy that motorcycle? Now, to a little boy who's holding more cash than he's ever held before, halfway on that walk, you start thinking, man, hey, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but that money was given to me for a purpose. So I walked over and said, Mr. Snyder, I'd, I'd like to buy that motorcycle if you're all right with that. He said, nothing will make us more happy. God puts it in our hands. Our Father puts it in our hands for us to go and accomplish his purpose. My Father had set out before that day began what was gonna happen. And you know, God uses us. He puts everything we have, he puts in our hands for us to be a pass-through that he trusts us with it. He wants us to participate in his vision. Everything we have comes from him. And this heart, the way we want to participate is, is what, what's outlined, this heart, of, uh, this heart of God, that we, we want to participate generously. I mean, it's open-handed. See, when we live closed-handed and sparingly, we begin to live that way in every area of our life. We, we live in this poverty mentality with every area of our life. Like, I can't share anything because if I do, I won't have anything. And there's just this principle of giving with God that when that's your heart, you can't outgive God. You can't. You, there's no way possible. I mean, my, Abby was, was cra in, in, in elementary school. She always had money. I'm like, where are you getting this? I mean, we give her money for lunch, and she's buying her friend's lunch. Now, we did find out how she was doing that. She would, never mind, I'm not going to tell that story. You can tell that story to someone else in the comments. If you want to know, see Abby in the comments. But that's the generous nature of God. See, generosity is this. It comes from a heart that realizes how much we have been given that we realize we have a generous God who did, didn't hold anything back from us. And that, that motivates us. He wants us to give generously. He wants us to give cheerfully. I mean, this, this excitement, he wants excitement in, our, in, our, in our, our participation. 
You know, he just want it, doesn't want it to be grudging. Like, I mean, he wants it to be cheerful. That comes from a heart of cheerfulness, right? I get excited about it. When, 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 when I see, when I, when I get the opportunity to participate in the work of God and funding his vision, I get excited about seeing lives changed. I mean, we've seen lives change in, in Fort Worth. We've seen lives change around the world because we're involved in mission work now around the world. We've seen lives change in Canada, in Africa, in Nicaragua, in Madrid, Spain. Madrid, Spain is an awesome one. I was on the uh, Skype call this week with Aaron Sandoval, the missionary we support in Madrid. And after that call, I'm like, I want to give him more because the spiritual warfare that he is facing shows us and that, that he and I were just kind of celebrating spiritual warfare a little bit because he's on the right track. He's pressing in the darkness. His upstairs neighbor, they formed a connection and his upstairs neighbor gave him a book and said, I want you to read this book on spirituality. And he says, well, can I give you a book? And he said, yeah. So he gives him a Bible. Well, last week his neighbor came into his, his house and he slams a Bible on the table. He says, I hate that book. I'm against everything in that book. I never want that book anywhere near me. And he says, look, I need to ask you. That book talked about praying. Have you been praying for me? And Aaron goes, yes, I have. He goes, stop it. Because since you showed up, my life's been hell. It's been turmoil. It's been chaos. I can't get anything. And it's just been awful. And I, I just want you to stop praying for me. And Aaron goes, can I tell you what I've been praying? I've been praying that you experience peace that passes understanding. I've been praying that you experience a love that goes deeper than any love you've ever experienced. He said, well, that's all well and good, but stop it. And I'm like, I just want to give more to that mission. Because, you know what I mean? The enemy's getting really ticked off. Like, let's, let's keep feeding that. I get excited about that. Cheerful about it. See, see, the cheerful heart is this. God says, I can bless you. God will bless the gift. Look, he, he, will, he multiplies. In verse 10, it says, he, he gives seed to the sower and, and bread, and he will multiply he will multiply that seed. And God says, I can bless the gift, but God's heart is to bless the giver. He wants to bless us. He wants it to change our life. He wants it to continue to shape and mold us so that we can reflect the heart of God. And he wants us to participate willingly. <laughs> this isn't a compulsion thing. This isn't a guilt thing. Guilt is not a good motivator. I talked about church baggage, and some of y'all, some of y'all are like the me too. I got, I got some of that, and 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 some of it. When you really break down to the core of why you do some things you do, it's because you're using guilt as a motivator. It's been drilled in you, and you need some freedom from that. Guilt is a terrible motivator. In Isaiah chapter one, verse nineteen reads this way, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. God wants to give us his best, but he wants us willing and obedient. See, I, I can be unwilling and obedient. Just look at any toddler. They don't want to do what you're telling them to do, but they're doing it. You go with any teenager. You're going to clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. Well, you're going to do it. Well, they may do it. There's obedience, but there's not a willingness Think about the blessing as a parent that comes in when they've willingly cleaned their room. You're like, oh my gosh, who are you? What, what do you want from me? <laughs> but, so we can have unwillingness and obedience. We can have willingness and disobedience. I want to do the right thing. I want to do what you're calling me to do, but I just can't because of blah. And ultimately, that, that leads, it's disobedience. God wants us willing and obedient. And see, guilt, guilt will motivate you to be obedient and not willing. 
And it's just a terrible motivator. There's no blessing in that. But it's grace. It's the grace of God that so changed our life that begins to motivate us it begins to let us look and, and I, I'm willing, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to walk in this life that you've paid for, for me to live in. I want, I want to do this. And I, w- I want my obedience not just to be a task. I want my obedience to be a blessing to you, God. It changes the perspective of everything. Because verse, look at verse 10 again. He gives seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way to produce thanksgiving and ultimately glory to God. You, when you came in, you got a little packet. In that packet are seeds. And it's your choice to do whatever you wanna do with those seeds. You can throw them away. You can tuck them in your Bible and go, I'm just gonna keep it as a reminder. You can plant them. I hope you plant them. Why? Because it it provides the connection in this way that God has put something in your hands. To some, he's given more and to some, he hasn't given as much. But the reality is this, God has put something in your hands. You have time. How you manage your time is how you're sowing that seed. You have abilities how you're sowing those abilities is how you're managing that. He's given you resource. He's given you an ability to earn income. There are dollars. How you sow those are important. And so I just want these to be a reflection and a reminder to constantly think, how am I sowing what God has put in my hands? Because if you take that seed as a farmer and you just hold on to it, you're gonna die of starvation holding on to seeds. But God has given that open-handedly for us to generously, cheerfully, and willingly participate in funding his mission for the entire world. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you're giving, that you're graceful, that you willingly and generously give to us and God, I just pray that you, you help change the posture of our life this morning. To take us from being closed-handed and sparing to, to generous and open-handed. And God, it's, it, this, is, this is what you've called us to be as disciples. A reflection of your heart. Or that you accomplish your vision through us. You, you've set the church as the vehicle to take this gospel to the world, this message, this news of grace through Jesus Christ that gave his life for us, who was crucified on our behalf and paid the penalty of our sin and was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day, and that through that faith and hope in Jesus, we have a relationship with you. We're set in a family. We can be free from guilt and all the shame and the the, the earthly, the poor motivators for pursuing you, but ultimately grace changes how we follow you and you set us in motion to do the work, to make disciples, to know you and your power, to receive the power from you, Holy Spirit, and to be a pass-through of the provision you've put in on our hands. May we be faithful with what you've called us to do with it. We love you and we praise you and we pray that 
all of this produces what our life is ultimately about, your glory and your glory alone. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at